Good morning once again. Uh, grab your Bibles and make your way to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 13. We're beginning a new chapter this morning. Uh, and chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew is primarily a chapter about parables. Uh, parables are strategies, a teaching method that Jesus would use to reveal the deeper things of the kingdom of God in order to awaken the hearts of his listeners to understand. And they didn't always understand. Matter of fact, the disciples didn't always understand the parables or stories, illustrations that Jesus used. And we may be familiar with a particular parable we're looking at this morning known as the parable of, of the sower. And today's parable is definitely a heart check. Now, if you're a fan of parables when it comes to Jesus, a little Bible trivia question for you, you're probably going to prefer the Gospel of Luke, because in the Gospel of Luke, we have parables there that aren't found in any of the other Gospels, and there are more parables in the Gospel of Luke than any other Gospel. Um, parable we're looking at this morning begins in chapter 13 of Matthew. It can be found in all three synoptic Gospels. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means similar because they have the most similar stories and recordings of uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even though we can read this parable in those Gospels, we're going to be focused primarily in Matthew. But as we've done with this series, we're going to pull from the other Gospels to get a better understanding of what Jesus is teaching us this morning. Again, it's the parable of the sower. And uh, if setting begins from Matthew chapter 12, as when you read your Bible, I always encourage you not to just jump into a particular book in the middle of it, but read it within context. And Matthew chapter 12, as we saw the last several weeks or months, uh, was a chapter about confrontation. And here in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus is going to change venues for his teaching method. He's going to take the crowd out to the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd, we're told, was so large that Jesus ends up getting into a boat, and all of them sat along the beach so they could all see him and hear him. Now, the Sea of Galilee is primarily a sea used for fishing, but around the sea, there was a lot of farmland or agricultural. So what Jesus does is he takes this crowd outside and he gives them a physical illustration that they would have been familiar with. They can look all around and understand this parable that he's going to teach them. This parable deals with the preaching and spreading of the gospel and the word of God and ultimately how people respond to the word of God and the gospel. In the gospel of Mark, it begins that Jesus draws a crowd to him and he says, listen. If you ever taught kids, teenagers, or adults, you've probably had to do this at some point in time where you have to draw their attention to what you're wanting to say. Jesus is literally telling the crowd, give and pay very careful attention to what I'm about to teach you. And this might be one of the reasons that the disciples come to Jesus and ask for the meaning of the parable. And Jesus gives him that, which is maybe why we like this one. Jesus only does that a couple times with the parable where he'll draw out the meaning and let us understand what he's teaching and about the deeper spiritual things of God. Well, let's read it, and then we're going to walk through it. So the parable begins chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9, and then we're going to jump over to verse 18 of this chapter as Jesus gives the explanation. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. 
And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And jump to verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you just for the promises and the reminders and the songs we've sang about you this morning. That you came to this earth, you died on a cross in our place to take our wrath that we deserve for our sin, and then you rose from the grave that we might be forgiven and be given eternal life. And Father, we thank you so much for that incredible gift, for your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, your promises. Father, I pray right now that we are going to be good soil this morning. We're not only going to hear your word, we're not only going to understand your word, but we're going to accept your word, apply it, even if it's difficult. So prepare our hearts in this moment. Let us be given ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, we want to draw in your presence. We want to hear from you, not from a preacher, but from you. So I pray your spirit would just take control of this moment. You would prepare us all to have an encounter with you and to be transformed more like you. We ask you to forgive us if we have not worshipped you in spirit and truth this morning. And pray that you be glorified and you alone in this time, that your kingdom and will would be done. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So we're going to be jumping back and forth here in Matthew chapter 13. There's three things we need to be aware of right off the bat. We're going to walk through this parable and then we'll look at some applications for our life. But the three things we need to be aware about in this parable. First, there is the sower, right? And the sower is the representation of the messenger of the kingdom of God. If you are a child of God, if you call yourself a believer or a Christian, here's the thing. You are all sowers. The Bible says you are an ambassador for Christ. You are disciple makers. We are to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is one reason that you have been given the Holy Spirit and that I have been given the Holy Spirit is to be empowered to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, to testify about what Jesus Christ has done for you. He died for you, he rose again, he forgives you, and he's given you eternal life. If you just get that basic of the gospel, that is what you were called to go out and sow. The second thing we need to know before we get even further in the the parable is that the sower or farmer, depending on what translation you're reading from, is spreading seed. I think we all caught that. Now, the seed is the representation of the word of God or the gospel. We call it the gospel because it's good news. 
The final thing is the soil unto which the seed falls that the sower is spreading. And the soil is the representation of the heart of an individual and how they respond to the word or the gospel of God. And so the first soil that we encounter is in verse 4. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Like I've already mentioned, we have the luxury with this parable, as well as other parables in, in the Gospels, to know exactly what Jesus is talking about. So the parable begins, a farmer is out planting seed, or he's scattering seeds around. Again, they're on the Sea of Galilee. And so all around them, there's going to be farmland. There's going to be agriculture. So they're going to be able to look around and understand this idea of a farmer planting seed or throwing seed out. Well, the first seed falls upon the wayside or the, the path. And the path is to speak about where people frequently walk. So in our day and age, it would be similar to a sidewalk. And so for the crowd listening to Jesus, it would have been obvious to them that this seed that has fallen along the path is not going to have the opportunity to grow or produce. This ground, the path, is going to be hard. And so it is referring to those who have hard hearts when it comes to the gospel of God. The ground or the heart is unwilling to accept the word which allows the birds to come and eat them up and devour it. Now jump with me to verse 19, where Jesus gives us the explanation. When anyone hears the word of God, which is what we're all doing in this moment, we're hearing the word of God. When anyone hears the word of God or the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So we understand now that the birds with the first soil or the pathway are a representation of Satan, the adversary, the devil who is coming and desires to devour anything that is sown for the kingdom or the word of God. So in coming and taking away the seed, which again represents the word of God, he's ultimately taking away the word from the hearts of the hearers. The Gospel of Luke with this parable tells us that Satan does this so that they may not believe and be saved. We have to understand the very last thing that Satan wants people to do is to hear the Word of God, accept the Word of God, and ultimately be saved. And so Satan comes to to thwart this, I like that word, to get rid of the seed, to get rid of the gospel so he can destroy that individual's hope of eternal life. Satan is here. He's ultimately going to be destroyed. But until he's destroyed, he's going to raise hell on earth for people. He does not want people to hear, understand, apply, accept the word of God or the gospel because he knows they will be saved and he won't be able to touch them. And the reason I bring this up is when we gather on a Sunday morning, when you gather with your small groups, when we gather on Wednesdays, and Wednesday nights are going to start here in a couple weeks, when we gather at any time in any ministry in order to present the gospel, we must be aware we're engaging in spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle happening in this room that Satan is trying to harden the hearts of people hearing the word of God. So we have to be aware when we engage on those ministries, we have to be praying, God, please soften the hearts of the individuals, the students, the adults, the kids that are going to be here. Soften their hearts so they're able to not only hear it, see it, but understand it. So we all are called to present the gospel. 
You are a sower of seeds. And Satan comes upon individuals whose hearts are hardened, and he's going to swoop down like a bird and devour the seed or the word that is scattered during any time of ministry. Now, the only way Satan or the birds in the parable are able to reach the seed is because the soil, which represents the heart, has been hardened. So that's why we must pray, God, soften my heart. We must pray, as Jesus said there in verse 9, Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me a heart that is ready to accept. The reality is there are some of us here this morning who have been trampled down by life, and we feel a lot like the path, and we were becoming bitter. We're becoming angry. We're becoming more focused on self and our time and what we want to do. We wonder why things keep happening. We cry out to God, why is this life so tough? But Jesus here in the opening of his parable gives us a key to breaking this sort of heart. We have to ask ourselves, how much have we allowed the word of God to penetrate our hearts and our lives? And some of us may need to pray to God, soften my heart, because I have been closed to the word of God. I have been closed off to your presence. I have been closed off to anything to do with you, Lord. And we may come to church every single Sunday. You may come and hear a sermon. You may come and hear the Word of God read and preached on. But if it's not taking root in your heart, therefore you're not changing. And therefore you're not producing fruit. Jesus goes on to tell us there's a second type of soil. Look in verse 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. And where they did not have much soil, immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. So again, the second scenario is the Word of God is presented. It fell on rocky or shallow ground. Immediately it sprouted something in an individual's life, but because there was no substance to stand on, when the heat's sun rose in the sky, what began to grow in the soil or in the heart withered out and died because it did not receive the adequate nutrition that it needed to survive. And here's Jesus' explanation. Look at verses 20 and 21. After what is given on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word of God, immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately he falls away. So we have this second soil, an individual's heart who hears the gospel, hears about the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God. They hear about the cross and they sing about the cross. They hear about the resurrection and the miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Christ. They see God moving and they sense God moving in their heart. They have an experience with him. And in the midst of this experience, we told in verse 20, they immediately receive it with joy. The it, again, is referring to the gospel. But there's a problem. They have no root. And because they have no root, they can't hold on when problems and tribulations and persecutions arise in life. And so they fall away. So to have no room for root means they have no room in their heart for God. They had an experience, but they're not actually going to let God come and take control of their life. He's not actually going to be their Lord or their master. I see this a lot of times when I was in student ministry. I've seen it in adults as well at times. 
You, know, you take them off to camp, you go to a Christian conference, and you have this magnificent experience with God. You feel his presence. You're singing worship songs. You're shouting for joy. You may be crying because of just the overwhelming sense that God is in the place. You get all hyped up on the Holy Spirit, and you're so excited that when you go back home, you got an agenda. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel with my friends. I'm going to invite people to church. I'm not going to shut up about it. I'm going to make sure everybody knows about my God and about what Jesus Christ has done for me. You're ready to go. You want to be on the front lines of the spiritual battle. And then you get home. And life hits. You got to get back into the routine. Dang it, I got to go to work Monday. And you start to get tired. When I was in youth ministry, I'm sure Jason has experienced this. I was always amazed to see the dramatic change in the teenagers as they loaded up into a 15-passenger van to go home. They'd be at camp, so excited what God's done in their life, so set on going home and sharing with their friends about Jesus Christ. And before you get a couple hours down the road, all you hear is bickering and complaining, and you can see it and you can hear it happening. These kids who were in love with Jesus and knew that Jesus was in love with them, all of a sudden they're looking at each other and saying, get off of me, you stink, stop touching me, stay on your side. And you're like, where'd the spirit go? But adults can do it too. It may be on a car ride home, but it's when you wake up Monday morning and you, went, you had someone on your mind that you were going to invite to church, someone on your mind you were going to tell about Jesus. And you encounter persecution. And what you had received with joy over a weekend or a week gets scorched. It burns out. It's not that there was an encounter that happened. It's not that there was an experience with God. It just we received it with joy, but we did not allow roots to develop. And so when problems emerged and distractions arose, they invaded that joy. They invaded that space. See, if we don't provide the nutrition to the seed of the gospel in our heart through the word of God, to being in God's presence, and here even to being with God's people, we're not going to be providing the nutrients to the gospel that was planted in our hearts. And Jesus says, if we don't do these things, it's going to be destined to fail. Worst case scenario I've ever seen about this actually didn't happen from outside the church. It happened within the church. Again, it happened in student ministry. <clears throat> Kids came back. They were excited. We were going to have a testimonial night about camp. And so they get up and they start sharing about the music. And they start sharing about uh, the things they really enjoyed. And now they're going to go share the gospel. And, and they asked the leadership of the church, which I was a youth pastor, so I wouldn't consider a leader, right, Jason? Just, that's right. They ask the leadership of the church, can we make a few changes so when I invite my friends, they are excited about coming to church and being here. And I was amazed by the responses. Some of the leaders, some of the, wasn't elders, but the elderly, came up to those students and said, well, if your friends want that, they can go somewhere else. We're not that type of church. We don't do those sort of songs we don't play that sort of music. This isn't a concert. Matter of fact, you, you need to calm down a little bit. Let's not be that type of church, Harvest Hill. 
Let's not be the church that scorches our students, scorches our kids, scorches our adults when they are excited and they have a ministry idea and they want to do something. Let's not be the parabolic son here. But let's nurture them. Maybe disciple them. Encourage them. I never want to hear from this church, I wish the kids didn't run through the halls. Praise God we have kids. And they color on the walls. And they paint on the floors. And it leaves a mark. But this building's being used. And God is being glorified. And the gospel's being preached. So let's not be the reason that we scorch the seed that they have. Let's nurture them. The Bible says as God's people, we are commanded to build each other up in the faith. Not to scorch one another or burn each other down. Coming to the third soil, look with me in verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And Jesus gives us the explanation here in verse 22. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word of God. If you notice, every soil, every individual has got to hear the word of God. Jesus says that every single time. He hears the word of God, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the thorns are representing the cares, the pleasures, the riches, the worries, the anxieties, the distractions, the cravings that the world provides. And this world has a very powerful message, and we all hear it every single week when you turn on the TV. Do you know the average American watches 34 hours of TV a week? That's almost five hours a day. That's not even pulling in the time we're on our cell phones or on our tablets or on our computer. And maybe you're not actually watching TV. Anybody have a, anybody a TV watcher, but really it's just noise in the background, and you're doing something else, and it's just going on? But you're hearing it. You're hearing the message that the world is preaching to adults and to children and to students. The number one message that the world has to give to every individual is who you are is not enough. Who you are is not enough. And so the world says, this is why you need to go buy this. This is why you need to have this. This is why you need to wear these type of clothes. This is why you need to get into this sort of college and do this type of activity. This is why you need to spend this much money and you need to drive this sort of vehicle. You need to drink this type of beverage. You need to be involved in this type of activity. You need to date this type of person. You need to weigh this much and you need to eat only these things. Because of this, and I think this is so important, I believe the true sign of maturity in a believer, when a Christian, no matter what their age is, when they come to the full understanding of who they are in relationship with God, because the world doesn't define that, God defines that. The Bible says right off the bat in the book of Genesis that every individual is made in the image of God. You are made in the image and likeness of God. And as God's people now, that means that we are image bearers of God. The Bible tells us that you and I are intimately known inside and out by the creator and judge of the entire world. We are noticed. Here it is. You are noticed not by your bank accounts. 
You are noticed not by your weight, not by the way you look or your appearances, but you are noticed by God because he created you and he loves you. And as a Christian, we are known to be in Christ. We are covered by the blood of his sacrifice. We are given the victory of his resurrection. We are branded in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are clothed in the full righteousness of Christ, given an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. All these things are ours, not by anything we buy, anything we get, anything we wear, how we look or act, where we go to work, where we go to college, or what we eat or drink. All of these things are ours by accepting the gift that has been fully paid for by Jesus Christ and only found in him. But because we hear the world's message through the radio and the TV and the social media, who we are is not enough. And this is what the world hears. It means whenever we hear the gospel, there is an opportunity for the world to choke it out. And I'm not telling us that we need to stop watching TV. It's football season. Don't be silly. <laughs> or stop being on your phone. Or don't be on the computer. But I do want to issue this challenge. What if we as Christians, as God's people, allow our heart, the soil, to be more in the word than in the world? How would that change our lives? How much would that impact our families? How much would that impact your workplace, the people you care about? The final soil is good soil. Verse 8. <clears throat> Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, and some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Then we get the explanation in verse 22, 23. Sorry. After what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, the importance of the final soil, again representing the heart of the individual, is that it is ready and it is willing to not only hear the word of God, but to understand the word and accept it. Result is that it grows and it produces a seed, like seeds are meant to produce. This is what the soil is in the good heart. Luke tells us about this parable, the way he records it, is that it is an honest and good heart because it holds fast or it clings to the Word of God. It has a willingness and a readiness and an acceptance in that individual's heart to the Word of God, and that is what makes it good and therefore fruitful. Now, there's things about this parable that we need to understand so we can apply so going back to the beginning, no, I'm not starting over, don't worry. The parable starts out with a sower or a farmer, and here's the point of this. If you are a child of God, we all are to plant and scatter the word, all of us. It's not just the preacher's job, it's not the elders or the deacons or the worship team or the youth pastor or the children's pastor, it's all of us. The Bible calls God's people ambassadors, disciple-makers, representatives of the kingdom of God, and we do this by scattering the seeds of the gospel everywhere we go and everything we do. So here's what we can start picturing church as. 
When we leave church, we need to start picturing when we leave, we're going out in the victory parade. We've all been in para- at parades before. Maybe you've been in one or you've been to one. You've seen it, okay? Maybe even on TV. So at parades, one thing the kids love about parades is what? The candy, right? They're just chucking candy at people, right? So that's the image we need to have when we leave church. We're going out in the victory parade, and we're just chucking seeds of the gospel everywhere we go. And sometimes it's going to hit, and sometimes it's going to miss. But we're just going to keep chucking the seeds and let people know, hey, God loves you. He has a plan for you, a future and a hope, and he wants you to accept it. And it is found in Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to go to a Christian university. If God has saved you and you call yourself a child of God, that means God has empowered you with his spirit to chuck seeds. Start sharing the gospel everywhere you go. And yes, persecution will arise. That's another thing we learn from this parable. Troubles will come. Satan is going to swoop down on some of the seeds you throw out. And he's going to devour it. He's going to take it because he doesn't want people to be saved. But here's what Satan also is going to do to believers. We gather in church. We hear the word of God. The the gospel is presented. The word of God is proclaimed. We hear it just like every soil in this parable. And then as soon as we step out into the world, Satan comes to attack that seed, to devour it. Because he knows if we don't live the word of God or apply the word of God, he's got us right where he wants us. We're just hearers and not doers. And sometimes we do this because we hear a sermon and we're like, well, you just don't know what's going on in my life. Pastor, you just, you just don't know what I'm going through. Are we hearing, well, that's not really relevant to me because, you know, I'm only 12 or 13 or, well, I'm, I'm 70, you know, and all my friends are saved or have gone on. You know, I, I, I just don't. I'm not in the right place right now. You know what you're doing? Those excuses, you're allowing Satan to come and take the seat, to devour it, instead of applying the Word of God and living it. The Word of God is this. If you need a simple message, just tell people, hey, God loves you dearly, and he knows you intimately. And if they're like, what do you mean, or I don't want to hear that right now, that's fine. You know what type of soil you just spread to. Believing and living in the Word of God isn't going to be easy. Jesus never said it is. Read through the Gospels. He says you're going to be persecuted. The parable, though, is calling us to have a gut check rather than to have a heart check, to look deeply into these four soils of the parable and to ask the honest question to ourselves, which heart is my heart? Am I the hard-hearted one that is hard-hearted to the Word and the things of God? Are you the excited and pumped-up heart, but you feel burned out? Have you accepted the Word of God, but you've allowed the troubles and the worries of the world to begin to choke it out? And now you're sitting here wondering, is it even worth it? Are you the soil that is so deeply rooted that you're bearing fruit in life? Now, I believe two of the four soils that are described here in the parable can be said that they're going to hell. The hard-hearted can't believe and can't be saved because it won't open its heart to the Word of God and allow its heart to change. The excited heart is emotional but shallow. And as soon as the temperatures rise in life, 
it taps out or turns away. The third soil, I think, is debatable. It's a hardened individual who has surrounded themselves by thorns and eventually become choked out by the things of the world and its philosophies and its constant pursuit of the next thing. And the pursuit of those things is not going to allow that heart to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness because they're so distracted. That sort of heart is not going to rely on the promises of God. It's going to continue to try to do things in its own way. This individual will do this to the point that they're going to miss out on the blessings of God. I don't know whether they're saved or not, but I do know the final one is. As we come to a, another season where the harvest time is ending, um, I'm not a big gardener person. You know, I throw it in the soil and I'm like, yes, come on. Um, but I know we have gardeners here. I know we have maybe some farmers here. Anybody who planted a garden or knows how a garden works, do we ever toil the ground, dig up holes, put seeds in, water it, and hoping and expect, expecting nothing to happen? Is that the point? No, it would be pointless, right? To have nothing happen, nothing to grow, nothing to show for all that work? Well, that's the type of heart that hears the gospel, experiences the presence of God, sees the work of Jesus Christ and understand it to save and to transform it and completely wastes it. The seed is there, but nothing's growing. And this brings us to the final point. We can know what heart we are by the fruit we bear or the lack thereof. If our hearts aren't bearing fruit, according to this parable, according to the words of Christ, that means our hearts aren't good. That's a tough pill to swallow. But if we're not being fruitful for the kingdom of God, that reveals that our hearts are not good. They're not bearing fruit. It also means that makes us one of the other three types of hearts in this parable. I believe this is why Jesus explains this. So we can understand it and we get that heart check. If you go back into Genesis, since the beginning of time, God has created all things to bear fruit according to their likeness. Go back into, into the creation account. Whether it's plants, animals, or people, all things are to bear fruit according to their kind. And Jesus says that you will know an individual by the fruit they bear or the things that their heart produces for the kingdom of God. And so the truth of this parable is if you're not producing, if you're not being fruitful, then that makes you either a hard heart, a shallow heart, or a distracted heart. Ouch, Jesus. But that's what he's doing. He's trying to awaken us. He's trying to bring revival in our heart. And revival is not going to come to this land, to this country, until it starts with believers. And so it starts with us. So he's trying to awaken us to make us a good heart, a noble heart, an honest heart, a worthy heart that produces. And what makes a good heart good is that the soil is good, the heart is good, and it allows the seed or the word of God to grow in that heart and to produce, to be transformed. So again, hard question. 
What heart are you? What type of soil would you be in this parable? And God has invited us all here today. Yeah, we're celebrating with Adam, but he's actually invited us all here today to hear his word and to get a heart check. Because God is after your heart. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He's after your heart. And he knows our heart. So he might be calling some of us this morning to make a change of heart. Lord, soften my heart so I accept your word and your will and I live it and I produce it. But maybe you're here this morning and you need a complete change of heart. And God wants to do that in your life as well. This is what Adam kicked us off with in proclaiming and confessing. And he has accepted the gospel. He has heard the word and he accepted it. And God changed his heart from a sinner to being saved. From an enemy of God to a child. To an heir to the eternal kingdom. And if you're here this morning and you need to make that sort of confession, it's very simple. It begins by admitting to God, God, I am a sinner. It means, God, I fall short of the things you want for my life. I don't do always the right thing. But then you tell God, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins, and he did, and he rose again on the third day to show that he has the authority to forgive my sins and give me eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to make that confession, the Bible says you have to believe it in your heart and then confess with your mouth and you will be saved. And so we come to this time of invitation where I'm going to invite you to come down if you need to. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. We'll pray together, we'll celebrate together, and I promise you there's not going to be a person in this room that won't celebrate with you. But maybe you're here, and we walk through this parable, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, and you realize, I need to make a change of heart. I've been hard. I've been shallow. Or I've been distracted. But I want to be good. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us. I want to pray with us real quick, and then I'm going to invite you to come. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, you know my heart isn't always fully focused. You know I get distracted. You know we all do. Temptations come. We're, we're, we can't ev evade those all the time. And sometimes we stumble and fall, but Lord, you are so good and gracious and kind and faithful, and you forgive us every time. Matter of fact, your word says that you have forgiven us once we've accepted your son, past, present, and future. The sins we have Yet to even do, Lord, you have said is forgiven. But Father, we want to be fruitful. We want to bear good fruit. We want people to know, as they did with your disciples, that we are Christians because we look like, talk like, and act so much like you. So thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for awakening our hearts to you. And Father, there's someone here this morning who needs to accept you for the first time as their Lord and Savior. I pray that your spirit just gives them the boldness to walk down the aisle and let it be known. There's someone here this morning who needs to follow in the example of baptism. Father, I pray that they would come down and let that be known. But Lord, above all else, I just pray that your kingdom will be done and you be glorified in this time. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.